Whether you spent your long weekend skiing, shoveling snow, watching football, shoveling snow out of a certain football stadium in Buffalo, or celebrating the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., it's been a short week since then. I'm Jessica Marshall, and we're back with another episode of The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. A lot has happened in the news, globally, nationally, and here in the Capital Region. We are not going to go through all of that, though, on this episode. Head on over to timesunion.com or any of our social channels where we are covering that extensively. Here on the podcast this week, we're going to focus on the cases of two missing people. We'll start first with one in the Hudson Valley. This past week marked 74 years since a cadet named Richard Cox walked off the West Point campus and disappeared forever. He's the only cadet on record to go missing and never be found. And the details surrounding his disappearance have become one of the biggest mysteries of the Hudson Valley. David Levine is the author of the book, The Hudson Valley, The First 250 Million Years. He wrote a piece this week for the Times Union looking back on Cox's vanishing and he joins me now to talk about it more. So I am very intrigued by the story of Richard Cox, uh, and you had me at the fact that this could possibly be one of the Hudson Valley's greatest mysteries. So let's kind of set the table here. Who was Richard Cox and what, what allegedly or, you know, mysteriously happened to him? So not only is it one of the Hudson Valley's most intriguing mysteries, it was included in a Life magazine book of the 50 most intriguing mysteries of all time. Oh, boy. Um, Including Jack the Ripper and um, a bunch of others, Amelia Earhart, uh, the great train robbery. So so it's not just Hudson Valley. This is this is one of the great mysteries of all time. So Richard Cox was uh, a cadet at the U.S. Military Academy um, in West Point. He entered the academy in uh, 1948. He had graduated high school, he had joined the military, and he had worked actually uh, in Germany, the newly created border between East and West Germany right after World War II. From there, he got his appointment into West Point, came over, and uh, was by all accounts a, a model student and a model cadet, did everything right, no problems, no issues. He was voted the best what they called the top yearling, they called him, which means he was, you know, the best first year cadet in his company. So by all accounts, he was he was on the path to be a great graduate and a great soldier. In 1950, though, he disappeared. A strange man who went by the name of George had come to visit him about a week or two earlier, invited him out to dinner a couple of times. Richard Cox told his roommates this guy was somebody he knew from Germany. He was uh, in the army in in Germany and was kind of a shady character. Uh, But Richard Cox agreed to go have dinner with him, left his dorm on January 14th, 1950 to meet George and was never seen or heard from again, at least in the public record. The, uh, The Academy went all out to try to find the guy. The FBI gotten involved. It was one of the greatest manhunts in the history of the Hudson Valley, and it all turned up empty. In the years since, there's never been any evidence to figure out exactly what happened to him. But there's no shortage of theories about what happened to him, right? Yes. So uh, 
in the 80s, uh, a man in Florida wanted to research, look into this a little bit more. And he got some documents through the Freedom of Information Act uh, as much as he could and did kinds of as all kinds of research and then hired a um, a former army colonel turned history writer named Harry Mayhofer. And they collaborated on a book that came out in the late 90s about the case. And uh, so they have some theories. Uh, one theory is that uh, Richard Cox may have been disillusioned with the military academy. He may have been afraid because when he left to meet this guy, George, he had violated curfew and he had forged some logs that had they been discovered would have probably gotten him expelled from the military academy. So there's speculation that maybe he became a CIA operative. Uh, he may have gone back to Germany. Uh, there's some evidence that maybe he even became a Soviet spy. Uh, but none of it is proven and none of it, is, it's all speculative. There are a lot of holes in the public record. The research that these two men did showed up a lot of material with redacted information. Uh, there was also a number of documents that they couldn't locate. There, there's no proof of any of this. He may have been murdered. He may have, you know, almost anything you can think of is certainly possible, but nobody will ever know. At least, at least for now, nobody can figure out whatever happened to this guy. And of all the thousands and thousands of people who have gone through the military academy, which of course being the army, they keep stringent records on, he's the only one over all these years and all these cadets who has disappeared and they never never found dead or alive after they left uh, the academy. Wow. But generally speaking, he's treated as, as if he was deceased, right? I mean, is there like yes. some kind of official recognition of that in any way? Yeah, so after um, the Academy did its investigation, the FBI and the police did their investigations, uh, seven years after his disappearance, he's from Ohio. So the state of Ohio declared him legally dead. Okay. Um, so he is, he is officially dead, but nobody has found his body. Nobody knows how, when, or where he may have died. Uh, so it's just because they lost the trail that he's been declared dead. I mean, this has true crime podcasts and documentary written all over it here. There's so much intrigue to this story. But of course, if he had not died and if he were for some reason still alive today, he'd be like almost 100, right? He'd be like 96 ish. Oh, yeah, yeah. He'd, he'd, he'd most certainly be dead just because of his age. He was born in 1928, so he'd be close to 100. Yeah. Uh, the book speculates he died in the 90s, but has no real proof of that. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. Do you think we will ever know what happened to Richard Cox? Uh, not likely. Uh, too much time has passed. Um, nobody, as far as I know, is looking into it anymore. Uh, you know, maybe some of these missing documents will come to light at some point, or maybe they'll be unredacted, if that's the right word, or, <laughs> uh, you know, opened up and more information will come out. <laughs> Until then, it doesn't seem likely. I, you know, as far as I know, like I said, nobody's really looking into this anymore. Yeah. So it, it may just be one of the coldest of cold cases and stay that way forever, which, you know, at this point, everybody loves a good mystery. Not all mysteries need to be solved. So why not just leave it at that? That's big praise. I mean, you know, you're yeah. talking about Amelia Earhart. You're talking about. Um, uh, well, the great train robbery, yeah. which, you know, is Jack the Ripper in England. Um, so so many others. It's one of 50. 
And probably one of the reasons is, is because it's a military guy. You know, people disappear. It's He's not the first person ever to disappear and never be seen again. But to disappear from the military academy, you know, there's nothing more regimented than the army. Nothing gets past them. Right. Um, especially, you know, this was the, the height of the Cold War. It was right after World War II. So suspicion ran rampant um, and often deservedly so. I mean, there was a lot of spying going on. There was a lot of espionage. There was a lot of stuff that would make you suspicious. Sure. Uh, the whole story about these two guys, or especially this guy, George, that apparently had a dubious background makes you wonder. So that's probably, you know, I think that's definitely what has given it such long legs and why we still are interested in it. Um, yeah, and I wonder why there hasn't been a blockbuster movie about it yet. I mean, with the success yeah. of Oppenheimer, it seems like <laughs> the appetite for, you know, post-World War II stuff, World War II and post-World War II stuff is uh, is pretty high right now. Absolutely, but probably because, you know, there's no real story. He, he just disappeared. Yeah, um, you'd have to make up the... You know, you'd have You're to right. have yeah, you, could do a great, you could do a great fictional version of this. Yeah. Um, and maybe somebody in Hollywood will, <laughs> will grab onto this and turn it into something. But it would be, yeah, it'd be very fun to speculate yeah. what happened to this guy. But we don't know. And we may never know. That was David Levine, author of The Hudson Valley, The First 250 Million Years. As always, head over to timesunion.com or any of our social channels, that's Facebook, Threads, Instagram, and YouTube, to read and see more about everything that we discuss on this podcast. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll talk about another vanishing. There's a new chapter in the story of Jalik Rainwalker, the 12-year-old boy who went missing in Washington County in 2007. Stay tuned. If you're enjoying this podcast, take advantage of all the Times Union has to offer and support our efforts to bring you award-winning journalism by becoming a Times Union subscriber today. Go to timesunion.com slash subscribe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Eagle, a Times Union podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Marshall. There's no official update in the investigation into what happened to 12-year-old Jalik Rainwalker, who disappeared from Washington County in 2007. But there's a new chapter of his story, at least for us. Times Union reporter Wendy Libertor and I did a seven-part podcast series last year that took a deep dive into the case. A new bonus episode of Rainwalker, The Lost Boy premiered this week. In it, we examine the differences in the cases of Jalik and that of the abduction of a nine-year-old girl in Saratoga County that made national headlines last fall. And we also probe a deeper question. What happens when a child goes missing in the United States today? We're going to play a portion of that episode now. Some of the details may be disturbing, so please listen with care.
there are many complicating factors that make directly comparing Jalik's case with that of the little girl pretty difficult. But one thing they do have in common is something that we wanted to probe further here. What happens in the United States when a child goes missing? Usually their parent, guardian, or other concerned citizen will alert law enforcement. That's the recommended course of action. Law enforcement will investigate the situation, and if there's a reason to believe the child has been abducted based on guidelines from the U.S. Department of Justice, they'll launch an Amber Alert. Here's New York State Police Senior Investigator Erica Hawk on how that works in New York. The New York State Amber Alert plan can be activated when an investigating law enforcement agency has reasonable cause to believe that an abduction of a child under the age of 18 has occurred and the child is believed to be in danger of serious bodily harm or death, either due to the actions of another or due to a proven mental or physical condition. The term AMBER stands for America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. The AMBER Alert System was created in 1996. The state of New York adopted the system in 2002. Now, AMBER is the aforementioned acronym, but it was also named after another nine-year-old girl who went missing while riding her bicycle. Her name was Amber Hagerman. Her story does not have a happy ending. Amber Hagerman disappeared in Arlington, Texas in January of 1996. She was abducted by a stranger in the parking lot of an abandoned grocery store. Her body was found four days later in a creek several miles away. She'd been brutally murdered, but her kidnapper and killer has never been found. Today, in 2023, the U.S. Justice Department says that 1,127 children have been saved thanks to the Amber Alert system. Before Amber Alerts, there were milk carton kids. In the 1980s, police worked with dairy producers to print the images and biographical details of missing American kids on their milk cartons. The idea was that the information would be disseminated to homes far and wide, and who could ignore that kid's face when it was right in front of them while they're eating their cereal each morning? The first milk carton kid was Aton Pates, a six-year-old who went missing in New York City in 1979 while waiting for his school bus. At 7.55 last Friday morning, Julie Pat says she took her son downstairs. She came back up and watched from this fire escape as he passed down West Broadway toward the bus stop where a group of other children and parents were waiting. She never dreamed he didn't get on that bus, not until 4 o'clock in the afternoon when he failed to return home. The concept of the milk carton kids fell out of favor when the Amber Alert system came into play, but it's firmly ingrained in pop culture. It gave rise to the term stranger danger. Hi there. Do you live around here? Uh-huh. You going to school? Yes. Well, uh, I, I could give you a ride. Last year, 50,000 children disappeared. Many of them. Ah, uh, that's Jenny. But that's not Jenny's dad. If she gets into that car, you may be looking at Jenny for the last time. I'm McGruff, the crime dog. Not all missing kids are the same. There are different reasons they've gone missing. There were many theories floated about what happened to Jalik. Many of them were floated by his own adoptive father to police. 
He joined a gang. He went to be, quote, with his people in Albany, Schenectady, or Troy. An anonymous letter sent to media four months after his disappearance said he was taken to, quote, become a foot soldier in this war on drugs, whatever that means. Law enforcement believes he was murdered. But by whom? They've never named a killer, whether it was a stranger or not. And they never said he was kidnapped. Given what happened recently to the nine-year-old girl in Saratoga County, and what we know about Jalik's disappearance, we started thinking it was important to understand the reasons why kids go missing in America. For that, we turned to David Finkelhor. He is a sociology professor and the director of the Crimes Against Children Research Center at the University of New Hampshire. He's been studying cases of missing children for decades. We jumped on a Zoom call soon after the nine-year-old girl had been found safe in Saratoga County. Missing children is a catch-all category that includes several very, very different kinds of situations. Finkelhor sorts the situations into several subcategories. The first, and largest by far, are kids who leave their households because of a family conflict. They're often called runaways or throwaways. After the runaways come family abductions. That's most often kids who get taken illegally by a parent or guardian during the course of a custody dispute. After that comes kids who go missing by accident. Those can be something as innocent as a miscommunication with mom or dad. Maybe they forgot they had to be somewhere at some time. Or they could be as serious as a kid wandering off into the woods by themselves and falling into water and drowning, or something similarly horrifying. The good news, though, Finkelhor says, is that most of the three aforementioned subcategories of missing children are resolved. The child is found and returned to their rightful guardian, though happy ending is not always the right way to describe it. Whether there's a happy ending, though, is, is not clear, because in a lot of these instances, like the runaways, thrownaways, and the custody disputes issues, the problems and the conflicts aren't really resolved, and they often are present to create the possibility for additional missingness at future times. But then there's one last category. It's by far the least common but most feared type of missing child. The stranger abduction. A kid gets snatched up off their bicycle in a state park campground or at a grocery store parking lot. It's the universal fuel of parental nightmares. Stranger abduction scenarios are... Uh, relatively uncommon, a few dozen every year in the United States. They occur under a variety of circumstances. They involve more teenagers than younger kids. They more involve more girls than boys. Sexual assault is the biggest motivator. I already think there is a considerable overestimation of the frequency with which that kind of crime occurs.
Yet nonetheless, stranger danger is ever present in American society. We teach our kids about stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. They learn about it at school too. But if stranger abductions are rare, why are we always on such high alert for them? Well, I think there are two big historical periods of increased anxiety. One was in the 20s and 30s. There were some major abductions like the Lindbergh kidnapping, particularly where there was ransom involved. A quick recap for those unfamiliar, Charles Lindbergh was a superstar aviator, the first to fly across the Atlantic. His 20-month-old son was kidnapped from his nursery at their house near Hopewell, New Jersey in 1932. The kidnapping was accompanied by several ransom notes. Ten weeks later, the child's body was found in the woods nearby. The media called it the crime of the century. Three years later, a German immigrant named Bruno Richard Hauptmann was convicted and sentenced to death for the kidnapping and murder. He was executed in 1936. Those kinds of episodes have disappeared, I think largely because of policing has gotten very good and the ability to recover, recover children has improved and the likelihood that you can get away with a ransom note and collect money has become more difficult. The next period of hysteria over stranger abductions came in the 1980s, and that was with the kidnapping and murder of six-year-old Adam Walsh. Adam's dad, John Walsh, went on to produce and host the hit television show, America's Most Wanted, which helped law enforcement solve cases. According to the Pew Research Center's 2023 data on parenting in America, kidnapping and abduction is number three on the list of top parental concerns. Parents and guardians, though, Finkelhorst says, do have other reasons to worry about crimes against their children. Maybe just not always the situations they fear most. Children are the most criminally victimized segment of the population. They have risks of assault, rape, robbery that are two to three times higher than the adult population in general. Finkelhor says parents and guardians should be most concerned for their children about violence in their own household, bullying at school or outside of the home, and sexual abuse by people they know and trust within their communities. You can listen to the rest of that episode and more of Rainwalker the Lost Boy on timesunion.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more from Inside the Newsroom. The Eagle is a production of the Times Union. It's produced and edited by myself, Jessica Marshall, with help from the Times Union digital team and the newsroom. Special thanks this week to David Levine for his contributions to this episode.